Father, we come now to open your word and hear it preached, and uh, I'm asking that you would help us hear it in the Holy Spirit, that it is preached with power, that it is heard with power, so that we would be encouraged, that we would be convicted, that our eyes would be opened to see the truthfulness of the hope in Christ and apply it to our lives as you know that we need. In some ways, Father, we need conviction from your word. Help us turn from sin and repent to hope and faithfulness and obedience. In some ways, God, you know that we need encouragement. We need strength again to continue in the way of righteousness, loving you, following you as we serve you, Father. We ask for these things for your glory and for our joy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, a few years ago, I was in Mexico for a mission trip at one of our mission points in Acuna, and uh, our uh, brother in contact there, Pastor Hugo, let me know we're going to have this event. It's going to be 6 o'clock uh, in the evening, and we'll be doing dinner after the 6 o'clock event in the evening. Uh, this is a little late for me to eat dinner, but I thought, you know what, no big deal. We're in Mexico. This is fine. I'm not too worried about it. Uh, I got there at the time that you're supposed to get to events, in my mind, which is a little bit early, about 5.30, 5.45. The event time shows up around 6 o'clock. There's no one there. It's me, it's Pastor Hugo, it's an empty room. I thought, no big deal. This is, you know, I'm going to have to swallow my pride. No big deal. Uh, this is a no-show event. It's okay. Slowly, pastors and church leaders began trickling in at 6.15, 6.30, 6.40 for this event that starts at 6 o'clock. No one's apologizing for being late. No one seems to feel like they are late. We go through the event, started about 45 minutes late. The event lasts longer than we intended, might have been because I was teaching, maybe not. After the event, I'm thinking this is the time when we're going to dinner. Pastor Hugo, we're we going to dinner. Well, first, brother, we're going to go see someone over here. We went to have a little meeting with someone in the same room where we had just had our event. The night goes on, we are talking and we are talking, and we end up going to eat dinner at 11 p.m. As if this was normal. We went to a restaurant to eat dinner at 11 p.m. and I was hungry. I quickly realized as the evening went along that we're not on Texas time. We're on Mexico time. And we're in the same time zone, technically speaking, but we think about time differently. Some of you have zero Hispanic blood in your body, but you live on Mexico time. Look at your neighbor and say amen. Some of you are looking at your spouses, and I'm just, it's going to be a conversation on the way home. When you become a Christian, we learn to live on kingdom time. When you become a Christian, we begin to learn to live on kingdom time. God fixed times and seasons in his plan to redeem people from all nations. Today is really kind of part one of a three-part sermon in a three-part series, if you will, from Acts chapter 1 all the way down through 6 verse 11. We're really just going to look at verse 6 and 7 today. This is the first conversation in the book of Acts recorded between Jesus and his apostles where we hear them talking to one another. And the first question that comes out of the apostles' mouths is about the timing of the kingdom. Is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus has resurrected from the grave. He's been teaching his apostles, his representatives about the kingdom of God. He is about to ascend into heaven where he will reign alive until his return one day, and their first question that Luke records for us to hear, and the conversation for us to hear, is them asking, is this the time, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So today we're really going to talk about the, the two parts of this question and answer. One, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom that they're talking about? And secondly, what do we learn from Jesus' answer about time and about the timing of the kingdom? 
Well, first we want to talk about what is the kingdom of God. You ever come into a conversation where someone's talking and they're using words that you kind of understand their generic meaning in a dictionary sense, but you have no idea what they actually mean? You start reading through the book of Acts, we ought to ask that way about the kingdom. Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom. The disciples have a question about the kingdom of Israel, as if everyone knows what it means. When Jesus came onto the scene, he began preaching, Mark says, about the kingdom of God, which was at hand, and calling everyone to repent. What does this phrase mean? Is it reference to a mafia group or a gang or a new movie or a game? Is this a reference to some dominion that the Lord has? We're going to spend some time talking about it because it will apply for the next three sermons in the book of Acts as we continue to build on it. Luke really doesn't mention the kingdom of God very much in the book of Acts only about eight times, compared to Jesus, who references the kingdom, or the Gospels, which reference the kingdom, over 120 times throughout the Gospels. And yet, for Luke, the kingdom of God is a main theme in the book of Acts. Open your Bibles to the very last chapter in the book of Acts, chapter 28, and see how Luke does what we call in Simeon Trust, a top and a tail. He, he begins with references to the kingdom, and he ends the book of Acts with references to the kingdom. In Acts chapter 28, look at the last few verses there. Paul has found himself in prison. He became a Christian way back in Acts 9. He found himself all the way to prison in Rome for preaching the gospel that Jesus has risen from the dead and that you can find forgiveness in Jesus alone. He went to prison for that. And now at the end of Acts chapter 28, he's teaching in house arrest, and how does the book of Acts end? Look at it. Acts 28, look at verses 30 and 31. He, Luke's talking about Paul, he lived there in house arrest in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who called him. What was he doing? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Acts begins and ends with the kingdom, suggesting that everything that's in between in the book of Acts is teaching us something about the kingdom. This is about the ongoing kingdom. What is the kingdom? If someone who is not a Christian came up to you and just said, what is the kingdom of God? I've been reading my Bible. I keep seeing this phrase, the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? How would you answer do you have an answer? Here's a short answer for what is the kingdom of God. I didn't come up with this. I'm borrowing this, this phrase. God's people under God's rule in God's place. God's people under God's rule in God's place. Chris, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm getting kind of an echo ring. I don't know if it's from another mic. I might be the only one hearing it but I thought it was worth noting to you. The simple definition, God's people, God's place, God's rule. Now that comes from Graham Goldsworthy's book, The Gospel and the Kingdom, which I highly recommend, short, maybe 100, 120 pages, a little small thing. That idea, though, God's people, God's place, and God's rule, being the kingdom, gets worked out in bigger books like Stephen uh, Wellam and Peter Gentry's book, Kingdom Through Covenant, which is upwards of 800 pages. But it's simple. Kingdom is this, a people, place, and a rule. Graham Goldsworthy explains it like this. It's clear that the term kingdom of God does not occur in the Old Testament. It's not there. But the idea is woven through the whole of Scripture. We first see the kingdom of God in the Garden of Eden. You see there in the Garden... Adam and Eve, people, who are called to obey and extend God's rule through obeying his word, and they are in the garden, and they are sent to multiply all over the earth, which is their place. God's kingdom on the earth didn't start with Abraham. It didn't start with Christ. It began with creation itself with Adam and Eve, people, place, and rule. So I'm going to give you an image here, and I really hope that this is helpful. 
How do we think about the kingdom of God in comparison to everything that God's doing from creation forward? Think about it like you would think about a file cabinet. You have a, a whole file cabinet, and then you have a drawer in that file cabinet, and that file cabinet has many files in that file cabinet. And each of those files, they're all related to one another. So let's just say you have a cabinet, maybe you have one of these at your home, you have a, a cabinet there, and it's, it's a financials cabinet. And every file in that drawer, in that cabinet, has something to do with financials in your home or in your business. Maybe you have a blueprints cabinet in your house, all of your architecture designs, and you know your cabinet has a file, and every file in that drawer has something to do with blueprints and, and drawings. Well, here's how the phrase, a kingdom of God, works in the Bible and in God's plan. Everything God does, His plan to save people from every nation through the Spirit-empowered witness of the atoning blood of His Son, everything God does is in a folder in that cabinet. And what is that cabinet called? The kingdom of God. The establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. On that cabinet is the plan to establish and spread and build the kingdom on earth. And if you open up the file drawer to that cabinet and you start to flip through the files, you'll find a couple of things about all the files in that drawer. One, you'll find out they're chronological. God has a, time, a plan He's working through time. So that first file is going to have a little tab that says creation. Next file is going to be a little tab that says Adam and Eve, mankind, created in the image of God. Next file, sin. Now what do we do? And then you're going to keep flipping through and seeing Abraham and Moses. And you're going to see the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant. And you're going to see the prophets. You're going to see the promise of the new covenant, the promise of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see the plan for the church. You're going to see Jesus coming as God's Son to die on the cross for the sins of all men. You're going to see a little file that says Jesus raising from the dead. You're going to see a file that says the church is going to spread the word to all the earth. You're going to see a file that says Jesus coming back. And a file that says heaven. And it's working through chronologically. God's plan is working from beginning. It has a beginning and it has an end. And it's progressive as you go from file to file to file. Not only is it following through chronologically, but God is growing his kingdom progressively. In other words, he's doing a little at the beginning and it is getting bigger and bigger and bigger through time. This question that the disciples asked about Jesus, about the kingdom, has two questions. It's time and it's scope. Where are we in time? Is now the time? And is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What, what are we doing? What is the plan right now? Look at the question in chapter 1, verse 6. It's a very specific question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time restore, thank you Chris, the kingdom to Israel. Listen, the apostles still at this point, amazingly at this point, still have an overly Israel-centric concept of the kingdom of God. An overly Israel-centric concept of the kingdom of God. Imagine it like this. Imagine if someone wanted to know the promises and the plans of God. They want to know what God's going to be doing in his kingdom. They might go over to the file cabinet, start flipping through the files. It would be an error to pull out any one of those single files and say, this file is the whole plan. That would be wrong. It's just one file in the entire cabinet drawer. That is representative of the disciples' mindsets as they are learning and hearing about the kingdom of God, they ask because they think the next file in the cabinet chronologically and progressively is for God to restore the kingdom to Israel specifically. 
They are of Israel, born from Abraham, Jews. They had heard the promises of the Old Testament from Jesus, and they still have an earthly, Israel-centric understanding of God's kingdom. They think that the nation of Israel basically is the kingdom of God, or that it should be. Basically, the disciples are saying, is now the time where we're going to go back to some old files? Are we going to go back to some old plans, some old power, so that we can be the exclusive people again, so that you will protect us again, that you'll leave us in the land again, that we'll be your people under your rule in this place again, like it was when we had David, like it was when we had freedom from your enemies, like it was when we were in a land flowing of milk and honey, and we had vineyards and homes, and we were wealthy and rich and safe. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? We've been hearing all about it. Is now the time you're going to do that? When Jesus, however, says, as we'll see in the weeks to come, you will be my witnesses to all the earth, Jesus is essentially teaching them about the kingdom. We're not restoring the kingdom to Israel like that. We're expanding the kingdom beyond earthly Israel to all nations. This is the message that's being learned in Acts 1 and taught over and over and over through the book of Acts. What you thought was the kingdom program is not the kingdom program. It's not about Israel-centric as a nationality. It's about all nations coming into the kingdom of God. Just think about the irony. While Jesus' apostles are asking, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is their way of saying, are you going to make Israel great again? What's happening historically? Most people would say the book of Luke was written somewhere around 70 A.D. What was going on during that time? Intense persecution against both Jews and Christians. In fact, the temple, which had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel after Israel came back from their exile, that temple would be destroyed about the time Luke is writing his letter in the year 70 A.D. Jerusalem, the city, where they are having this conversation with Jesus in Acts 1-6. David's city, the capital of Judea, that city in 70 AD was burned, laid waste to the ground. So in the same time frame that the apostles are asking is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, the temple and the city of Jerusalem are decimated and laid to ruins. History answered their question for them in one way. Here's how in part Josephus, the historian, recorded the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Josephus said, Then did the famine widen its progress and devoured the people by houses and famine, by houses and families. Roman centuries had surrounded Jerusalem, letting no food in. The upper rooms, think about Josephus describing the upper rooms in Jerusalem. They were full of women and children that were dying by famine. And the lanes of the city were full of the dead bodies of the aged. The children and also the young men were wandering about the marketplaces like shadows, all swelled with famine. And they fell down dead wherever their misery seized them. And we could go on and on and on and get more graphic depictions of Josephus recalling when Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. Later, Rome would reestablish Jerusalem as another colony. Foreign gods were brought in. Jews were not even permitted to enter the city at all. With that history just in the near future, Jesus' answer about restoring the kingdom was very important. Is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you imagine if Jesus had just said, yes, you can't wait, it's going to be so big. And then see the temple fall and see Jerusalem fall? How confusing. Can Jesus give them a hopeful answer about the kingdom being restored? Yes. But it's better than they could have ever imagined. Acts is basically working out Jesus' answer about timing and the nations and his ascension to point out 
what the end game is going to be in the kingdom of God. If you look in that file cabinet, the kingdom of God, and you see the plan of the kingdom of God, and you start flipping through, and you want to go back and look, let's look at some of the very back files and see what this looks like at the very end. Where is all this going? John read it for us this morning from Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Here's what they are saying as they worship Jesus, the slain lamb in heaven. They say, for you were slain. This is the worship in heaven. And by your blood, you ransomed a people for God. Jesus ransomed a people for God by His blood. That's the way that you become God's people. That's the way that you become part of the kingdom of God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're a Gentile, if you're black, if you're white, if you're old, young, rich, poor. It doesn't matter how sinful you've been. We all come through the blood of Christ shed on the cross, forgiving our sin. Well, equals in that sense. But they're singing in heaven, your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and every nation, not just Jews. And look what it says in verse 10. And you have made, here's what we're singing about Jesus forever. You have made them a kingdom. That's Jesus' kingdom. The people from all nations under his rule. And where are they reigning? Look at verse 10. Priest to our God, and they, the kingdom, shall reign on the earth. The end goal is God's people, all the ransomed in the blood, on the earth, reigning under the rule of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom. That's where this is all going. God's people, God's place, God's rule under the blood of Jesus Christ. This is absolutely shocking in the book of Acts. It's not what they're expecting. The, the, the question, Calvin says it this way, there's not a word in their question that doesn't have an error in it. <laughs> they just don't get it. They, they don't get how the kingdom is supposed to work. They don't understand their, their time, despite the fact they've been taught over and over for these years, and now by Christ they're still learning what it means. It continues to be a shock that people who aren't Jews receive the Holy Spirit through Acts. Nearly every baptism in the book of Acts, you know one of the main points of those baptisms? You would not believe who got baptized in Jesus' name. Gentiles. A, a, a eunuch from Ethiopia got baptized. You wouldn't believe who's getting included in the kingdom of God here. It's shocking over and over and all the way to the very end. I won't take time to read it, but in Acts 28, that's one of the last things that Paul has to say. He went to preach in, the, in Rome. He gathered together some of the Jewish leaders. They did not want to hear what he had to say about Jesus. So quoting from the book of Isaiah, he says, God's basically going to turn from you. Paul says at the very end, let it be known to you, those Jews that he was speaking to in Rome, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. To all nations, they will listen. Is God restoring the kingdom to Israel? It's more like God is restoring the kingdom by taking it from Israel and giving it to the nations. It's like new wine. You can't put it in old wineskins. Consider how Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. The kingdom, thinking about people, place, and rule. Think about what Jesus said about the kingdom in Mark chapter 4, verse 30 to 32. And Jesus says, to what can we compare the kingdom of God? He's teaching about the kingdom. What parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground... It's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. God started out with one man in a garden, one seed. That seed failed. It died. Sin. Adam's sin kingdom was distorted on the earth. 
But then God chose a man in the desert, Abraham. And the kingdom has been redeeming and growing and growing and growing and growing as it will continue to do as it spreads its branches through all the nations so that all peoples and all places, regardless of their sin, can become a part of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you've committed murder. It doesn't matter if you're divorced. It doesn't matter if you've been addicted to pornography. It doesn't matter if you're addicted to alcohol. It doesn't matter if you've misspent your money. It doesn't matter if you've cursed. It doesn't matter if you've been angry at God. God is willing to forgive the sins of all people because you're so wonderful, because you're so good, because you're so beautiful. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, ain't that beautiful? Because his love is for all people. He sent Christ to die on the cross so that his blood shed would wash away our sin. So that his death would pay the penalty for all sin. All sinners. So that his resurrection would prove he's paid the penalty for all sinners. All over the earth. All people. All nations. That's what the kingdom of God is doing right now. It's growing and growing and growing and growing by bringing in more and more people. Is it the time to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus' answer getting worked out this week and in the weeks to come and through the book of Acts is not like you think. We're going to the nations. Let me get to Paul's answer at the end saying, they'll listen. The nations are ready to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation in him. First, Jesus answers a question about time. Is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We've, under, we've seen that their understanding probably wasn't Jesus' understanding about the kingdom. Jesus gives a three-part answer to their hope that Jesus is going to consummate the kingdom in Israel right now. A three-part answer. First, to them and to us, here's the first part of Jesus' answer in 1 verse 7. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons of the kingdom. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons of the kingdom. As God's plan for the kingdom rolls along, God is not foreboding. And he's not promised that he's going to tell all of his people, all of his plans, all the time. Do you find yourself wondering what God's doing in the world? Wondering what God's doing in your life? I was having these thoughts last night about 9.30 p.m. when I was taking all of the water out of our hot water heater so that I could then remove our hot water heating element so I could see what was broken. God, what are you doing in the world? I mean, we could think of any a number of things in our lives that make us ask those kinds of questions. In a very fundamental sense, Jesus says in the first question, his first answer to the disciples in Acts, is you can't know. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons of everything I'm doing all the time. You can't Google it. Don't be fooled when people jump up and say Jesus is going to return. And we know that this is God's plan for Jesus to return in 1932. We meant 1988. Oh, we meant 2004. Oh, we meant 2024. Jesus uses two words in this passage to refer to time. Chronos and Kairos. We've already seen that word chronos used in Acts. It's a, it's a span of time. It's an, it's an era we see it in a few verses before. Luke tells us that Jesus was with them for a chronos, for a, a kind of span of time. In that case, at least 40 days. They ask Jesus, is now the chronos, is now the time, the, the season, if you will, the era, when you're going to start restoring the kingdom to Israel? And here's Jesus' answer. It's not for you to know the chronos or the kairos. Either one. The kairos is a different idea of time. Kairos is the idea of that, that window of appointed time and opportunity. A providential time when you have an opportunity that you didn't have before and you have an opportunity that that time is going to go away and it will not be there anymore. A perfect example is when you're driving down Highway 183, you're going from north to south and you look to the right and Krispy Kreme has the hot now sign. That's a Kairos moment. It's a limited amount of time. Those donuts are hot. 
The disciples ask, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? But Jesus has already expressed Jerusalem's time was over. They don't know their time. You can look with me back in your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. Luke 19, 41 through 44. Jesus is commenting about the city of, of Jerusalem. Toward the end of his ministry, he's looking at the cross. He is now realizing Jerusalem is going to reject him. His own people are going to reject him. He went to his own. They did not know him, John 1.11 says. Look what Jesus says, Luke 19, 41 through 44. When he drew near and he saw the city Jerusalem on his way in, be crucified there. He wept over it. Jesus is on the way into Jerusalem where he is their Messiah knowing they're going to be excited for him but they're going to ultimately crucify him. He wept over Jerusalem and this is what he said. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Listen to what Jesus says. The days will come upon you, Jerusalem, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and they hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time, the kairos of your visitation. You didn't know the time. Isn't that exactly what Josephus recorded happened? Jesus is expressing they did not just miss Jesus the person. They missed their time. This moment when he was there and they could have received him. Israel missed their window to come into the kingdom through faith in the kingdom of Jesus. They missed their time. Friends, listen. We cannot know. We cannot know perfectly. It's not for you to know the times. You cannot know when God starts one season, when He ends another season. You cannot know when every kairos moment or opportunity is going to come or to pass in your life. What you can know today, what the Apostles will come to learn is that you can know that now is a moment that you are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and today you can respond. You can make Him Lord and be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son to the kingdom of Christ. Now is a moment you can repent from your sin, turn from your idols, and turn to the living God. Now is the time that you can find forgiveness from your sins through Jesus shedding his blood for you and dying on the cross for you, God's own son. While today is still called today, don't harden your hearts. While it's today and you're hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, don't harden your hearts. You never know when today's file in your life is going to be pulled. You never know when it's going to be closed. You never know when the next file in God's plan is going to be opened. It's not for you to know when God has one kairos and one kairos planned. But what a shame to miss your time to hear of Christ and reject Him. We as a culture and we as a generation want so badly to get our time right. We want to be on the right side of history. We are the age of information, and we feel the pressure, having known so much, to be the best generation ever in history, recognizing the time that we're in. We want so badly for mankind to progress, to go forward. We're going to be saying for the rest of the year, as a country at least, well, it is 2023 after all. And then next year we'll be saying, well, it is 2024. Think about the time that we're in. We should be progressing. Things should be different. Things should be better. People should be nicer. But the time that we're actually in, the time that we can know that we're actually in, is not just the time for climate change, 
Not just the time for racial equality, not just the time for technology to progress and serve mankind, or even medicine to progress and serve mankind. The time that we are in, the time that we ought to be feeling the anxiety about, if you will, the crisis, is that now is the time for the gospel to be preached to all people and for the people in the world to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and come into the kingdom of God. That is the great progression of the kingdom of God. That is the time Jesus is teaching his disciples we are in in the world. It's a kairos moment for each individual. It's a kairos moment for the spread of the gospel to all nations. Here's how Jesus talked about the time. He told the parable about the kingdom in Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. A parable is a short story with a lesson. Matthew 25, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them, however, were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil in their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, taking his time, you could say, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him, the wedding's going to start. And then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, they went with him into the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Here's Jesus' lesson to the parable. Watch, therefore. For you know neither the hour nor the day. You don't know. You don't know when the last day will be the last day. What can you do? Prepare for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Prepare for the rest of eternity. And that rest of time, by in this time, responding to the good news of Jesus Christ with confession of your sin, recognizing Jesus is the Lord of the kingdom of heaven. When is God going to roll back the sky like a scroll and bring his kingdom to its final completion on earth? You cannot know. But you can know this kairos. Believe in Christ today, and you will be saved in the fixed day of judgment. Which brings us to the second thing Jesus says about time. The Father has fixed times. The Father has fixed times. Here's an example. When, when teaching to the heady philosophical bunch at the Areopagus, here's what Paul says to them. The times of ignorance God overlooked, those times, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. This is the final call. Because he, God, has fixed a day, Paul tells the Greeks, a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that being Jesus, and of this he has given us assurance that there's a day that he's going to judge the world and he's going to do it by Jesus, by him, giving us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's how we know he's the one who God is going to judge the whole world through. Some mocked him. Some believed. Some wanted to hear more. Make no mistake, God is working out his plan. The Father has fixed times in the establishment of his kingdom. You think, you're, you think your calendar's full? You think you've, you've planned out ahead? You know? Colette and I were looking at our calendar on the first couple of days of December or something like that, and we noticed we had something every night through the month of December on the calendar. We're going to see family, people are coming over, elder Christmas party, youth nights, kid playtime. We might have snuck in a date night in there, I don't know. But our, every night was planned. God, God is more fixed in his time than we could ever imagine. doesn't matter what you put on your calendar. doesn't matter what you're planning for next week, the years to come. God has fixed dates. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 36, about the second coming, concerning that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. 
He knows that day. I mean, you ever seen the, the, the movie, The National Treasure? If you're a good American, you have. What do they find on the back of the Declaration of Independence when they're trying to find this hidden treasure? They steal the original Declaration of Independence. They take it over to the dad's house and they get out some lemon juice and they get out a hair dryer and they start dripping the juice in the back and they're looking for some invisible ink. We're going to find a map that no one else has ever seen or even knew was there. God tells us a lot of things about what he's doing in the world. We actually can know a great deal about his plans. He reveals much. But when we look through the file cabinet, we may see what God has given us, but God sees on every file an invisible ink stamp with dates and times and seasons. He has fixed dates. He knows when it's time to pull out the file that says Jesus Christ should be born to go and die for sinners on the earth. We can see a lot, but he sees the invisible times that are planned. We don't know or decide when the last snow or winter will be. So we don't know when the harvest of the nations will end. But God does. God does. The Father has fixed times. This is a wonderful confidence for Christians. A wonderful confidence for Christians. That God is ordering His world, expanding and progressing the kingdom on His schedule. We can trust Him like a good father. And even when our father refuses to answer the question, are we there yet? We can trust He knows when we're going to get there. But if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, this might be a point of great anxiety for you. This might ought to leave your heart and your soul troubled. That there is a fixed day for your death. There's a fixed day for the day of judgment. There is a day when there are going to be no more days. He has fixed days. Thirdly, here's what Jesus teaches about time. God the Father has authority over time. God the Father has authority over time. God can make His plans according to His own wisdom. His timing is within His own authority. Jesus' answer is, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed. How? By His authority. His timing is within His authority. He doesn't answer to anyone else. God does not have staff meetings where He checks His calendar with your calendar. He's not waiting for permission. He hasn't sent down someone to get a comment from us on His timing. He has authority over all of His timing in His kingdom. That's a really good thing because we're pretty terrible at timing. Try to time the stock market lately. Try to time your breaks at an intersection and mess up lately. Trying to think about when you should ask someone to marry you. Try to find the right time to tell a joke. What's the right time to go to war? The right time to rest? I mean, we're going to have wisdom for all these things, but you can see how the world gets times wrong all the time. What a relief to know that God is exercising His authority over the times and the seasons of the progression of the kingdom of God. God has authority, not us. Probably one of the greatest prides of our time, which we often do not realize, is the pride of having authority over fixed times. I think our knowledge as humanity in this generation has given us the sense that we have authority over our own time. That we're going to make our time the time that we accomplish some purpose. Even Christians can do this. We can think that our time is the time that God's going to do everything. We, we give importance to what we're saying. We, we, we give urgency because we think we know all of God's time. We have to be really careful because God is the one who has authority to determine the times and the seasons of the kingdom. I was at the Southern Baptist Convention last year in Anaheim, California, and there was a speech given by a pastor, one of the largest churches in the world. Amid some turmoil about his church, he rose to the floor to speak. After saying he would not defend himself, he then moved on to defending himself. He went on to suggest that the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, should move past all of its bickering, move past all of its secondary issues that we have. Because Baptists have been known for years of you know, having something to argue about. And the, the employment was to make the main thing the main thing. 
Make the gospel, make the nations the main thing, which is a valiant purpose. But I think it came out in kind of a strange way. It tells us something to our hearts we ought to be careful of. He said, since the year 2022, that means we are 2020, this is the year 2022, which means we are 2022 years from the birth of Christ. Now we know Christ started his ministry at the age of 30 years. He died at the age of 80 uh, the year AD 33. He rose from the dead at the age of 33 in 33 AD. He sent the Holy Spirit in AD 33. That means that the year 2033, just 11 years from today, that's going to be the 2000th anniversary of the Great Commission. And the commission, if you will, to the Southern Baptist Convention is I hope that one of you will make a resolution that Baptists take the next 10 years to finish the task in our generation before the 2000th anniversary of the Great Commission. Now, who can argue with that? Who's going to say it's a bad idea to get to all the nations and spread the gospel to fulfill the Great Commission as much as possible? But there was something hanging in the air for me that day that ought to bug us too. Are we suggesting that we can usher in the second coming of Christ? That we can make that day happen any sooner than God has already fixed that day on his own authority? I don't know necessarily what the man was trying to say. But we have to be careful to remember that God has the authority to progress his kingdom, to establish his kingdom on the earth on his schedule. We cannot begin to suggest things in big grand scale or even the littlest scale of what we're going to be doing this afternoon without recognizing nothing happens in the kingdom of God outside of the fixed times and seasons of the kingdom of God. God has fixed times and seasons of the kingdom by his authority. Why would Jesus mention that fixed times are by his authority? Seems to be, Jesus could tell their question was not just a question, but very nearly a demand. Is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Friends, church, one of the ways that we submit to God's authority as the church is by soberly and humbly submitting to all His timing. As He expands His kingdom to all nations, through the preaching, by the Spirit, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what Calvin says about these guys asking this question in Acts 1, verse 6. This is some of Calvin's sarcasm at best. Luke shows that the apostles were gathered together when this question was asked, that we know that it came not from the foolishness of just one or two, but it was moved by the common consent of them all. But marvelous is their rudeness, that when they had been diligently instructed by the space of three whole years, they betrayed no less ignorance than, than if they had never heard a word of the kingdom. There are as many errors in this question as words, but this is the true means, this is the true means to become wise. Namely, to go as far forward in learning as our master Christ goes in teaching. Listen to that again. This is the true means to becoming wise. To go as far forward in learning as our Master Christ goes in teaching and willingly be ignorant of those things which He conceals from us. You can't know the times and seasons fixed by the Father and His authority. It is just incredible that this is the first question to answer conversation between Jesus and the apostles in the book of Acts. Reminding them about God's authority over time and His kingdom. Friends, it is one thing and it is right to long for the kingdom of heaven. To long and to wait for Christ to return. To want your marriage to be renewed. To, to want people to come to Christ. To want the gospel to go to every nation. To want things to get fixed. To go to God and say, is now the time. It is quite another thing to presume that God is somehow unwise, not good, generally out of touch, because His timing seems off. That begins to touch not just His knowledge of time, but His authority over his kingdom. God has this church. 
Part of the gospel is God's perfect timing to all mankind. Romans 5, 6 says it like this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Kairos, Christ died for the ungodly. God does everything at the right time. You may not know the time. You can be sure that this is the time to trust Christ while you're hearing about Him. You can be sure this is the time to be obedient to God and to all the teachings of Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles for a last word from James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and see how James applies this idea of God's sovereignty over time and how we can think about all things in our life according to God's time. James 4, 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. Let that be our word. If the Lord wills, we will. Let's pray. Father, we pray that by your grace, you would help us now respond to your sovereign authority over the timing of your kingdom, which is to fulfill the preaching of the kingdom to all nations. You are saving us. You have brought us to the kingdom who are trusting Christ. You have brought those who are hearing the gospel today to come and hear the gospel today by your providence. We're in a window of time now. I pray that you would help us all who are here respond by faith, that by your spirit we might hear the gospel, that to come into the kingdom we come through Christ, his blood shed for us, forgiving us enemies to come be part of the kingdom of God. Father, we take a moment now to confess, to pray that you would help us live in humility and trusting you and your timing of everything in our lives.